One, two, one, two. That's right, because it's the Heavy Hole Podcast. I'm Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. My co-host, Dave Gladding, is in the building. Round of applause. How you doing, Dave? I'm doing all right. Pretty awesome. tired, but, you know, oh, good otherwise. Sorry sorry to bother you. Sorry to keep you up. <laughs> Dude, it's getting kind of late. Yeah, what's going on, man? Would you, would you put the kids to bed? Now you're ready to go here over here? Yep. Yeah, hopefully they stay in bed. And the cats aren't nearby, so hopefully they stay that way. All right. Yeah. yeah, the cats are actually usually, it's your kids are actually good kids. It's the cats that usually yep. get in the way, as we know from past history with you, man. Are the cats in the room? Are they lurking somewhere? Uh, no, nah, I don't see them. All right. The, good, do- good. the dog is behind me, but she's good. She's, she's sleeping. A new character. I don't think we've met your dog on the Heavy Hole podcast. We'll, I'll, try to keep, I'll try to keep my voice down so we don't wake the dog up. No, you got the headphones on. That's just, that's for the listeners. That's breaking the fourth wall. Um, but yeah, heavy whole podcast. We got a special guest tonight. Um, we also are going to talk some classic Long Island groove oriented metal. We're going to leave it at that and, and you can figure out what it's all about later. Um, but before we get into all that and I get ahead of myself, uh, Dave, how you been? What's been going on? Um, not a lot, man. Just listening to music. I went camping, uh, over the weekend. I haven't been camping in like 20 years. Wow. That was kind of fun. How'd that go? Oh, not bad. I got to get a better uh, air mattress because the one that I had, it was like one of those like little flimsy self-inflating ones. Yeah, yeah. And it just didn't. It's like it's not enough of a cushion. So I did not sleep very well. Yeah, I had an inflatable pool in the back. It was like just big enough. It was almost like those like the Michael Jackson isolation tank size, like where you could just lay down in it. Yeah. And um you can't leave anything. The raccoons get to it. The raccoons want to, they, they got those claws. They pop it. It's no, no good, man. I, I was, I, I was really pissed off at those little fuckers and they're fucking around with the apple tree. They're knocking the apples off the apple tree at night, man. These guys, I got to, uh, I don't know if I should gre- grease the stems or what over here, man. I got to, I, I, we almost got to call them professionals. I don't want to do that to these little guys, but they're everywhere, man. They're fucking up the place. Do you have, do you have rat like raccoons or vermin around where you live? Uh, I have raccoons. I have possums, deer. Why do you need to go camping if you got all that where you live? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, that's <laughs> go, a good question, actually. Go in the I back. Just, go in the backyard. I'll just sit in the backyard with a fire and I'll just go to bed. <laughs> I, I did you happen to go to Bear Mountain upstate New York? No, I went uh, further upstate by almost by Albany. Oh wow! Okay. I, yeah, you know, I'm not asking you to disclose your private details, but what was how, how was that? Was there like wildlife there? Did you see any any like uh, anything more than you'd see in your backyard? No, not really. <laughs> it was pretty mellow it's like i forget what the what the place was called it was like this little like kind of like an island in the hudson river huh interesting you didn't see justin did you i don't think i did unless he was like a ship captain because there was like a big cargo ship like went by the island that's uh oof, that's that, that if justin was a char- cargo shout to justin but i don't know if i'd want him on the cargo ship cargo yeah, pants I- Maybe we could see him in cargo pants, but not a cargo ship. But yeah, he was out camping too. Um, he, nice. he, he hit us on the text this weekend. Yeah. So um, and shout out to Tom, by the way, while, while we're shouting out the rest of the crew and Rick and uh, Tyler Craig, all of our heavy hole correspondents here. Uh, so so it was an island in the middle. It, you, you're from Long Island. You go away to go camping and you go on an island in New York. It's it's hard to to get away from that. You know, it's just there's there's bodies of water and there's bits of land in the middle of the water it's just that's geography for you man speaking of bodies did you you didn't see a bear i guess that that would have been notable you would have brought that up already 
No, no bear. I, I would think. Friends of mine years ago, there's Bear Mountain. That's why I brought up. They got, you heard of that, Bear Mountain? I don't know if you've been I there. I have, yeah. They got Bear Mountain. That's a campsite you go upstate New York. Friends of mine years ago, Tom Andrew was there. Maybe we'll get him to tell the story. Years ago, they went up there and they went camping a group of them, and a fucking bear came down and started going through the campsite. And everybody, everybody got scared, got in the cars. Some people left. You know, they had a big story about it. We'll get them. To, but I'm just the place is called Bear Mountain. Let's be real yeah. here. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people that are inclined to never go camping and don't like don't understand it. Like that would be their reasoning. Like, why would you go to Bear Mountain and get chased by a bear? It's a good question. I mean, they they, they named it pretty clearly. So, yeah, uh, another um, institution that was named pretty clearly, the death metal band Maul. You could get mauled by a bear if you fuck around up at that bear mountain. Allegedly, that's just what I heard. But um, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna hear all the allegedly's behind the death metal band Maul coming right up. This is Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, and I'm here with none other than Garrett Alvarado, vocalist of Maul from Fargo, North Dakota. Did I get all that right, sir? That is all correct, Big Will, man. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Th- thank you for your time, man. Welcome to the Heavy Hole Podcast. Hell yeah, man. I'm just uh, kicking back. Cracked a, cracked a cider. I guess I'm drinking ciders tonight. But... Yeah, I, I'm not... Hard cider. I'm I'm not a I'm not a big cider guy, hard or otherwise. But I know some like the most occult, crazy. Actually, we we interviewed him. My most occult friend I know, Greg Lehman of Telog Volvin, was a big cider guy many years ago. <laughs> man, it's a very it's a very like kind of like a cult, kind of like spiritual. It's that, drink, uh, it's that devilish sweet tooth. Yeah, I'm I'm drinking uh, Tim Hortons coffee right now, so I'm on a whole different tip right now. But um, that's that's for another. <laughs> That that's for another time and place, man. Um, I'm trying to go to Fargo, North Dakota, and le- learn all about Mall. You guys are on a tear right now. I was just talking to you behind the scenes. You just played a ton of shows uh, all around the different parts of the United States, um, and you're gearing up. The one show that we can promote on this is the Slam Dakota Fest on the uh, 26th of August, which should be the day this episode comes out. So if you're early bird listening to this episode and you're in the area of that Slam Dakota Fest, look that up for Mall. But um, Garrett, before today, we're going to go all the way back and, and work our way back around. Uh, I have to credit the Gomek Records YouTube channel who interviewed you a while ago. And oh, I, nice. Yeah, I, he did a great interview, and I, I credit my research. And from that, I know that, if I'm not mistaken, yourself and two other members of the band uh, grew up on the White Earth Reservation um, and are part of the indigenous population. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, White Earth Reservation. We uh, we all went to school at um, Manolman High School, on and off, I think. So Anthony Lamb, who's on guitar, and uh, Robbie Anderson, who's on drums. Um, we obviously weren't, like, friends the way we are now. I kind of known Nolan Lamb for a while. We actually started our first band right out of high school together. Um, but, yeah, they were. we all went to school on the res and got to deal with that. <laughs> So do you guys all now live like in in Fargo? Everyone kind of is, is that like a a regional place where a lot of people relocate or something or 
Yeah, I feel like uh, Fargo is kind of a spot where you, we would drive like an hour and a half to to go like hang out to go see like a movie or like because it was the nearest like bigger city to us, you know. Um, so we we do grocery shopping there sometimes, or just go fuck around in Walmart or whatever it would maybe. <laughs> Got it. Okay, and and then. Now, from there, because I knew that, like I said, from that other interview, I'll get into the typical Heavy Hole podcast question. Um, are you from a musical family, musicians in your family, or anyone who steered you into hard rock and heavy music along the way? Uh, no, not a musical family. Um, I have, I feel like I've always said this too, I've, I've always been addicted to the riff for sure. Uh, I remember being in the backseat and my dad had like a, like a late seventies Oldsmobile. So it's uh, like tape player and everything. And one of my favorite tapes that I would like demand be put in was, uh, the baddest hits of George Thorogood and the destroyers. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was like singing along to that shit at like three in the backseat, just headbanging and having a blast to that. So I feel like I've always just something about uh, hard hitting drums and heavy distorted guitars always hooked me. <laughs> got it. Got it, man. And, um, uh, you know, the, the like, the, again, like what I got out of that interview is that you relocated at some point to Fargo, and that's where you really became immersed in the underground music scene and maybe were exposed to more underground types of music. Is that accurate, or was, was there, um, is it a little bit more complicated than that? I would say Fargo specifically was the first, like, uh, I don't want to call it well-oiled because it was plenty, you know, I mean, it was a bunch of high school kids running, but that was one of the first like major scenes that I got to be a part of. Um, so like I said, Lamb and I had a band in like 2009, we really got going to 2012 and it was like, uh, it was shitty MySpace deathcore, <laughs> but we were doing shows. We were based out of Bemidji, Minnesota. So a little more North, uh, beautiful Lake country. Uh, they had, a, there was a lot of, uh, Christian metalcore and shit like that was kind of popping off in the area. So we were, we were playing in that kind of crew, but, uh, very not Christian. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we would book, I would book shows over in Fargo. We go hang out and that's when we met a bunch of friends. And that's where I was like, really, we were already doing shit DIY, but that's where I saw like, like I said, kind of a well-oiled DIY scene. And they had their own venue that they brought tour packages through and we're, putting on for the locals and like hardcore punk uh noise has always been prevalent around here and metal um so yeah i would i, I credit fargo and moving here and being kind of kind of really crafted my way and showed me how you can do this stuff by yourself and just start bands with you know uh, the networking aspect of it, how many different bands that before they blew up came through. Uh, even you talked about it on a podcast, uh, the new direction, that venue down there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The new direction. I, I was fortunate to, I, I used to be in, uh, the band artificial brain and we were there with Pieron. Um, I want to say, yeah, many years ago, uh, I think 2015 or 16. And it was, <laughs> I mean, we probably didn't see it at its best face. It was on a Sunday night, um, and it was pouring rain out, but still it was a good time yeah. and they, they took care of us. Um, great place. And I got the impression from the venue, just like, you know, it had the gorilla biscuits kind of mural like that. It was a, there was some sort of a, a hardcore scene, uh, locally, yep. you know, even though we may, we maybe hadn't been there on the right night, you know? No, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. The, the hardcore scene was huge late two or all throughout the two thousands. I feel like, 
I didn't really start seeing it until 2008, 2009. Um, and there's still bands from around that time going, getting it still. Um, I feel like metal recently has really taken over. There's only a couple of hardcore bands, but like upwards of 10 metal bands, uh, <laughs> just really trying to hit it around here. So that's cool. Fargo, Fargo is great. Cause there isn't shit here. It's North Dakota. Um, so I feel like the people who want to do music are really fucking invested in doing music and sporting music. So it's pretty, pretty tight knit, even though it's like mixed genre shows sometimes. And, uh, we all just kind of get along. Yeah, actually, the um the one band that I, I we we performed with a band called uh, Ceiling Walker, I believe. I don't know if that might have been. Oh yeah, I remember them. Okay, yeah, I still have the CD somewhere. Um, interesting band, but you 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 mentioned with North North Dakota, maybe there's not as much going on, so people kind of um gravitate towards towards Fargo, where there is a music scene. You know, I, I obviously I'm out here in New York. We have listeners all over the place. If people don't know, because you've we've brought up um, uh, North Dakota, Fargo, and I'm sorry, you said you said it was was it Minnesota or Mississippi? Uh, Minnesota, yeah, that's Minnesota, where I grew up. yeah, Min- Minnesota, where you grow. These parts of the country, these are all regionally like fairly fairly close in terms of traveling and and having like I guess family connections and things like that, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty. Um... For the most part, I feel like uh, it's just to get to bigger cities, you got to put more of a drive in. Um, like I'll regularly drive to Minneapolis to see tour packages, and that's a three and a half hour drive from Fargo. But it's not really that ain't shit around here. It's just one interstate, pretty pretty simple. <laughs> but it's worth it to get because uh, yeah, Fargo's not going to be able to bring in those. I mean, I don't even think Minneapolis is like a considered a b market for a lot of tour you know which is so weird it's a fucking it's always been a music city yeah I, i've played some a, a few great shows i think two or three great shows in minneapolis um people turn out for sure and you say three and a half mm-hmm. hours like like it's nothing so i just wanted to give the listeners an idea this is places where there's a lot of rural country um, and maybe yep. not as many opportunities to see live music and to, to get into the underground scene and, and things like that. So I guess maybe take me, because I want to get into Mall, and Mall has, for a band that's only been around a few years now, maybe five or six years, I, I would imagine, you have a, a long discography. And, of course, we have to talk about your new album, um, Seraphic Punishment, on Redefining Darkness Records and the cassette yeah. on Gurgling Gore. But take me into now, like, you know, you, you grew up on the red. What was it like? growing up on the reservation in terms of heavy metal culture and, and understanding like maybe underground music or like, like what was the exposure like? Was there maybe any kind of like cultural backlash to that sort of thing? Um, um, you know, things like that. So, yeah, absolutely. There was. Um, so it was, you know, for being a reservation town, it was very fucking racist. There was a lot of old, older uh, Caucasian people that uh, settled there and didn't like, uh native people that's just the way it was and that kind of integrated in the schools and uh a lot of nasty shit honestly um so i credit a lot to my older cousins like all of my cousins are had a good at least five to ten years on me and we'd always uh we're also a mexican family so we had a lot of uh family cookouts and get-togethers and (laughs) um i would go hang out with them fuck off with my cousins and uh i remember specific times of being in a basement like when freak on a leash by the corn came out and they were all like freaking out 
in the basement, like drinking and headbanging at this family reunion. And I was like seven, you know, just like <laughs> think, you know, like they were showing me a whole new fucking world, you know, but, um, they were always into the bag uh, that like Jankos and trip pants were coming out around that time. So I was kind of, you know, mimicking them at, you know, 12, 13, I would get my own big shit like that. And I remember wearing like mushroom head shirts and shit in like sixth grade. And <laughs> uh, so there was kind of like a weird, uh, new metal, like mall goth kind of scene. And I credit a lot to my cousins being kind of into that or how I like found out for sure. Okay, man. And, and, you know, you, you touched on, you know, how there, there was racist elements, um, growing up when you, when you get into heavy metal, which is in a lot of areas, a very Caucasian dominated, um, genre. Do you find any, any of the same type of thing within the heavy metal scene? Maybe not necessarily our underground death metal scene, or maybe, but Mm -hmm. just, just in general growing up. And as you're getting into these type of things. I feel like growing up for sure, you would see a lot of it still because it was still the early 2000s and a lot of that wasn't like as called out as it is now, you know what I mean? For sure. Um, I don't know about me directly through metal or anything like that. Um, I have seen it. I've seen a lot of sketchy things (laughs) uh, because of shows like that, I guess. Um, But nothing like vile or like hate crime style or anything like that um yeah yeah i don't know i'd say especially underground death metal i feel like some of the biggest fucking sweethearts in the around are doing this kind of music you know (laughs) it's well it's an outsider it's an outsider subculture for sure so i think a lot for a lot of people um uh you know they they don't really put any stipulations on on uh you know who, who somebody is or identity or anything like that it's more of like if you know if you pay your money at the door at the show you're good to go you know like that that's that's the vibe i've always gotten but i i appreciate you sharing, sharing your perspective and now talking about the underground death metal scene more according to metal archives so i do quote as a as a resource um and and for my research uh you guys yep. have been around since 2017 Yep, we're coming up on uh, five years here at the end of October from our first show. Okay, so tell me a little bit about um, the, just the beginning of the band. I mean, you mentioned two of the guys you kind of like, you you, you know, you knew because you grew up on, on the same reservation, but maybe you kind of like didn't know in the same way. Now you guys have been in the band, so it's a different mix. And I also know there's some band lineup changes since 2017, so maybe just, just touch on that a little bit. Sure. Um, so... Uh, what just kind of glazing over it. I was, a, I did do professional wrestling for like five years. Uh, and like during that, I put a stop on music. Um, and I fucking crushed my vertebrae and had to like retire in 2016. Um, whoa, whoa. Okay. I didn't get any of this so, in the research. So I uh, saw, so, yeah, sorry. Right. There's, <laughs> we'll, we'll go. We'll, I don't know. That's kind of a wild thing to glaze over, but we'll go slowly with that one. Now, wait a minute. Okay. So. I'm sorry, bro. You threw me for a loop with that. Just, just, just quickly. Is this something that you trained for, and you were part of an uh, uh, one of the independent federations that you could talk about, or? Um, yeah. So, like, that was what we did on the reservation. Actually, was we started our own like backyard wrestling uh, kind of comp- not a company, but it's what we did on the weekends and kind of invited people out. We didn't make any money by any means, but doing some wild shit, built our own ring and stuff like that. And I ended up finding 
a company that was doing uh doing training pretty pretty easily uh to get into so and it wasn't like thousands of dollars and so i got into that and nothing uh sorry nothing notable <laughs> as far as companies I, I i went to like upper michigan and wisconsin um down to denver a couple times a lot of minnesota north dakota but they were all pretty like uh maybe sea level like independence you know what i mean not to not to talk shit it's just realistic of like where i was at i guess yeah well yeah there's different levels and, and different tier leagues uh yeah did you i mean now but the thing about from my knowledge of professional wrestling which is obviously only as a spectator um and a bit of a nostalgic fan uh there's a lot of older wrestlers who may work with these like so-called C-tier leagues as trainers, coaches, or, yep. you know, so on and so forth. Did you get to interact with anyone who we might uh, know about? No, nobody, nobody of note. There was a couple of, um, like active names like Silas Young. He's in like ROH yeah. currently. Um, yeah. I did like a couple seminars with him. Um, which would be just like before a show, we'd get the like ring set up and he would kind of spit some knowledge and run some drills or make you put together a match and like judge you and shit like that. Um, did one with, uh, Michael Elgin, who's, he was just recently quit, uh, independent wrestling. Um, so cause some of the current names, but I never mixed it up with any older, a lot of people, come through there in like AEW and WWE nowadays uh, where, you know, especially Minnesota, Minnesota has kind of a prevalent wrestling scene. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That that's the, yeah, that's what I mean. I'm just thinking region in your region, you know, professional wrestling has a big history. Um, And I mean, again, we, we do want to get to mall and promote (laughs) more properly. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Cause I don't want to drag. I always feel like I have responsibility to promote the album and the, and the music material, but the pro wrestling thing is right up our alley over here. So are you comfortable talking about how you actually broke your vertebrae? Uh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, sure. It was, um, it was storyline, retirement match in hometown here in Fargo. So it ended up actually being my retirement match, which is like, you can't really write, I guess. Um, and I was doing a move to him. I had him up on my shoulders on the apron and we went to the outside, to the floor. And we had like a four by eight plywood from the ring apron to like a VIP table. So we were like right up in people's laps and I put him through the table, but I kind of went, uh, kind of cockeyed straight on my lower back and ass straight to the ground with, you know, 400 pounds of mm. motion coming down. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I knew right in that moment I was pretty fucked up, but we still did like another 10, 11 minutes of this like crazy street fight with like thumbtacks and chair shots and uh, superplex off a ladder. Like I was always into the super hard. Stuff, so. wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. So that was like, I found I, that whole weekend I couldn't move and went into like ER walk-in shit, found out the vertebrae. I only crushed it, only crushed it, quote unquote, like 15%, but it kind of made my next few weeks pretty miserable. 15% sounds like a, a lot. It sounds like enough to feel. Jeez. Yeah, no, absolutely. So like oh. nowadays it's kind of just it kind of like, I just have like really 
kind of funky hips and lower back sometimes yeah. and i just stretch a lot um wow so so <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry to laugh but you, you described it so no, non- no. nonchalantly you said you couldn't move all weekend so you went to the walk-in medical center yeah. like when you say you couldn't move like how like what are we talking uh like getting into bed and like sleeping actually like any remotely comfortably and then trying to get out of bed like uh any kind of like prone to standing position shit was pretty rough i think i went in uh so the match happened we wrestled friday the match that it happened in was saturday and i think i went into the walk-in sunday so <clears throat> Wow, really? Yeah, and that was like that was like three weeks before my honeymoon in California, so I almost like fucked all that up, <laughs> which was part of the reason why I stopped wrestling. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. boy! All right. So to to fast forward that, I was kind of like I'm kind of the person who like needs a creative outlet, and like almost right away, I was like, "Yo, I I want to start a fucking band again, like really bad." And I was like putting out feelers uh, for anybody who wanted to play death metal. <laughs> and uh our drummer actually learned drums for mall like the first time he ever got behind a real kid was uh, learn how we were doing metal i guess <laughs> that that's awesome man. and now let me ask you this as because you know i've been a front man for uh, you know my bands over the years do you ever have to check yourself like when you're on stage when your band is performing somewhere to not you know, not, 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 you know, not jump around too much, not get too into it. Cause you might feel it the next day. Uh, I'm very much the opposite of that. Uh, it's been going around online this recently that I'm unhinged, I guess. So <laughs> my, my, my presence on stage is very, uh, wild man for sure. I throw the mic stand around. I, well, that, that's why you know, I, not, not, What's up? I'm sorry. Well, that's why I asked because I've seen a few videos, and I'm just thinking with the crushed vertebrae thing, man. Do you ever say like, "Whoa, like slow down"? No, I think I, I think I'm over that. Like, as far as it being like a detriment to me, I've I've kind of always grown up in pain. Like I said, we were doing dumb shit at like 13, 14. So now I'm I'm 31 now, and like I've kind of always lived with something kind of fucked up or nagging me. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So yeah, I don't know. I stretch a lot, stretch daily, especially uh, preset, preset and stuff like that to limber up, you know. Um, so I kind of know my limits or what's like hurting me. I'll headbang a little different or whatever, but I do kind of go crazy every single time we play. Yeah, more power to you, man. I mean, I, you know, people know me. I'm I'm a big guy, man. I I have a. Uh a bunch of back problems is uh, the stretching man goes a long way man if you just get into a little routine you stretch for five or ten minutes every morning man it goes a long way oh absolutely it changes changes everything wow man so, you gotta, oil, you gotta oil yourself up <laughs> exactly man so mall uh you got the 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 midwest death demo that says it all right there midwest death in 2018 you guys set it off which sets off a streak of demos, EPs, splits, and singles. Um, you guys were really busy even prior to the pandemic, but then you especially got busy. Um, I feel like when exactly did some of these lineup changes take place, and did they happen to correspond with the EPs in 2020, Monarchy of Mold and Deity Demise? Um, so a little bit there. Uh, one of them 
we got rid of a member who's pretty fucking shitty. He was a problematic person. The less said about him, the better. Um, uh, we like wanted to give him a, his chance to like take care of himself and do it. And he kind of told us all the fuck off and ghosted. And yeah, anyway. Um, so that was like the only like drama between members. Otherwise it's been like people moving or like needing to just do something different. So we had the first three EPs or two demos and split were all the same lineup. Um, and we did the monarchy of mold EP in 2020. That was the last release with our original guitarist, Jordan. Um, and he was going to be dipping out. We had a tour planned right when the pandemic started. So we put out Monarchy Mold in February and we were going to do like a 11 day run to support it. And uh, he was kind of going to bow out of that. And we were going to make it happen as a four piece. He just, the touring wasn't good for his uh, mental health, you know? Mm. And he was kind of going a sober route and we were playing a lot of bars. It was just a bad, uh, bad combination for him. So we wanted him to take care of himself, you know? Yeah, fair enough. I've I've known people who've been in the same shoes, man. That's a, a responsible yeah. decision. Fair enough. And especially touring is, I mean, it can be fucking brutal. It's definitely not uh, for everybody. So once we're like out and doing it, cause especially in those like pre-pandemic times, we were still doing like, not there's anything against it, but we were still doing like taco shops, donut shops, and fucking basements and living rooms and like, you know, not making a lot of like any money, spending money on gas. So it wasn't uh, wasn't very glorious to do. Uh, <laughs> we still loved getting out there. <laughs> you you got to love the grind of it, you know. If if you're not prepared yeah. for the sacrifice of it, then it's not going to be fun for you, you know. Mm -hmm. Even if it's shitty, you got to like balance yourself and find find out what you do are enjoying about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. So, um, uh, f fair enough, dude. And all I'm all I'm kind of gearing up to is I want to cover some ground here because you guys were so busy um building up to this uh seraphic punishment album on um redefining darkness and on gurgling gore with the cassette now um seraphic punishment i know you worked with um mike from warflurch a little bit on the uh like synthesizers and maybe some like ad added noise and things like that you guys kind of yep. like even though geographically you're not part of the same scene i associate i guess your bands because you're kind of like around the same time frame right nowadays man how do you go back with him uh it was during the pandemic for sure um and i think it was i kind of have approached him as just like uh being a warford fan you know finding the first couple demos they put out and really digging it and i saw he was kind of active on instagram you know as he does um with the warford wednesdays and shit like that and that actually drove me to do the mall Mondays and just kind of keeping ourselves sane during the pandemic and kind of connecting the whole, whatever death metal community we could, you know? Um, so yeah, I just kind of got to know him and became friends and was learning a lot from him. Cause he's kind of an OG. He's been doing music since the early nineties too, you know? Mm -hmm. I've been meaning to get him on the show as well, man. There's only so, only so much time, but shout to him. Right. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you though. Proceed. No, no, man. He's uh, he should be on there. Absolutely. So he's uh, he's kind of a, I associate him as a wizard. You know, he's got a lot of experience and knowledge under his belt, and we just click on a lot of ways. And um, fuck, we did that 
three-way split with Thorne together. Um, he uh, mixed and mastered the side project I did, uh, Paranoia Apparition, that came out earlier this year. And he did the, all the sounds and samples on the album, except for the interlude. So, yeah, it was just kind of a, yo, I want to hire you to make our shit sound cooler because you know how to do that kind of shit. So. <laughs> and then work, work, working with friends makes it more fun, too, so. Uh, of of course and the album it's it's it like just overall it sounds really good and he did add there's atmosphere what i like about it is it retains a lot of that kind of raw primitive uh bombastic death metal quality um that we've kind of come to know and seen the band build on over the years but i feel like the songwriting and composition stands out on this album especially in contrast to some of the previous material going back so he like adds to that and Off, off of that, I got to ask you about, it's Jake Klatson, right, who kind of recorded it, um, mixed and produced it, if I, if I got that right? Uh, Jake Watson. Jake Watson. I can't read my own uh, hand. My own handwriting is crazy over here. <laughs> Jay, shout to Jake Watson. Um, I apologize. But yeah, the, um, what's his background? Is he a local guy up there in Fargo? Or? So, um, what the fuck? Okay, I was just going to bring it back. Yeah, he Mike really added like a continuous atmosphere to the album, and the one thing during the songs I told him was like, I want you to add a layer, but I don't want people to be bummed that we're not playing that live. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's a good balance. We're not we're not going to play the backtracks or anything yeah. like that, or worry about sample pads. It's just like it's a nice, eerie element to make the album more special. I guess that was what we decided on before he worked on them. So, and I think he nailed that. It's a, it's, a, it's a good rule like i like have yeah. have have some like like atmosphere but like people shouldn't be bummed when you don't play live. I like right that. right yeah and we're not high tech enough to be trying to get that shit live <laughs> um yeah so back to jake watson he recorded our split he recorded mixed and mastered our split adoration through annihilation that was like 2018 or maybe 19 i can't remember um and then he recorded mixed and mastered monarchy of mold ep so we have worked with him a few times he's uh, actually a metalcore kid um from california who's lived in minneapolis for a while and uh while god sleeps is a like heavy metalcore band rock a few bands that we've like grew up with basically playing because it's always been like mixed pills kind of thing so that's how we've gotten to know jake so he recorded he came up to fargo to our practice space where we tracked the full length but he actually didn't have a hand in mixing it or mastering. Okay. Who, who um, did you go to for mixing and mastering then? So mixing and mastering, uh, the guy's name is Andreas Linneman. Linneman? I might not be saying that right. Um, he's from Czech Republic, actually. It's uh, one of the boys that um, Papa Tom from redefining darkness knows so it was someone that he kind of sent us to like three different people to do test mix on the album that he like trusts and knew could uh do a lot for us and uh yeah andreas won us over and fucking never have never heard us sound that massive before you know what i mean like the first mix he sent us is like damn this sounds like a full length so yeah, well, that it does sound great, and that's why I just wanted to ask you about Jake, and it's good to hear about that. You know, the the whole process there because it sounds like a professionally recorded album. When I when I looked to see who produced it, I was expecting maybe one of the 
um, you know, the more common names that we hear a lot brought up, you know, and I mean that in a complimentary fashion. He did, he did oh, a great no, no, job. That's cool. Yeah, it, it sounds good. There's a lot of um, atmosphere. Now, this is something I get into with um, a, a lot of bands. You're not that much younger than me, but you guys are kind of like popping in the scene now. Uh, the band is definitely a little bit younger than my generation. What are some of the um, maybe unexpected or lesser known death metal and grindcore bands or black metal, just extreme metal bands that um, like most of the band or all of the band could agree on? Like stuff you guys might play in the tour van or something like that. Uh, That would remain kind of underground. Yeah, I guess so. I'm just trying to get a feel for like general influences. You know what I mean? Without just like bull thrower, morbid angel, like like we all say, you know, right. So one of my favorite things about Mall is that uh, none of us are from. Well, I mean, that's you know, case of a lot of bands, but um, aside from me, and then Robbie, uh, the drummer, getting into it recently, and he's kind of he's got his own lane that he loves now. But like, I'm like the death metal guy in the band, um, and like. Lamb or guitar is really into uh, like more beat down kind of stuff and some black metal, some really weird, uh, some weird shit. I don't even know where he is some of the times. <laughs> um, he surprises me with some of his influences or shit he'll play in the van. And our other guitarist, Al, um, is pretty much like exclusively like kind of rock and new metal core kind of stuff like not death metal at all kind of hardcore he's been in a bunch of hardcore bands um so it's kind of a neat i think it's a neat element of us that we're writing death metal from not really like you said like your bolt thrower influence or like we're not coming from a a worship standpoint at all we're writing like our own what we think death metal could sound like i guess <laughs> it, that makes sense i yeah i appreciate it. that makes sense because um in listening to the album uh seraphic punishment i i enjoyed how brutal it was and how it has this kind of like primitive like 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 beat like i don't know like people say beat down nowadays i'm not even sure exactly like what what, what that means but it had but um because i'm old but uh i think they just associate slams with it maybe yeah like like there's there, there's such brutal old school death metal influences and then you guys also mm-hmm. have these elements of atmosphere and you slow it down uh r- really cool shit so i just want to try to get um be- beneath the uh you know the influences a little bit there so now, if I got around, unfortunately, this like we were talking behind the scenes, this episode isn't going to be out in time for your album release show this Sunday. Um, but t- tell me a little bit about that. Are you guys going to play the whole album? Is it at a a venue that's like close to your guys' heart? What's what's the deal with the show? Yeah, so um, I'm actually really excited to play at Harold's. It's called Harold's on Main. It's in Moorhead. Uh, it's kind of a kind of a the punk bar. Kind of a lot of the music scene works there, or. Uh, People who work at the other bar in town, Dempsey's, uh, which above it is the aquarium where we play a lot of our shows, work there as well. So Harold's is kind of like the spot. A lot of people go to karaoke Wednesdays and just kind of meet up and hang out. Um, So it's kind of the music scene there, but they don't do a lot of shows. So it's kind of exciting to be like the first like really heavy thing to be there. It's just a little patio area outside. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be cool. 
to uh, be there. But we're doing a whole like maker's market event during the afternoon that I put together. We got like 22 tables of different art and vendors going to pop up and do that. And then food truck. And then the show starts at five and we got four bands like shoegaze and grunge. The, that heavy medical band Rot that Jake Watson is in, and then us rocking the full album, yeah. So kind of a nice mix of everything and full uh, community for the community is something I like to do, I guess. Fair, fair enough, man. That sounds cool. And uh, I, again, I regret that we can't promote it, but we can promote. Um, what what day are you actually playing the Slam Dakota Death Fest Five? Is it going to be the Friday or the Saturday? Yep. Yeah, so we play Friday. We play. I'm not sure where we're at, even in the lineup, actually. <laughs> um, but we play Friday, uh, which is cool. We got a couple friends playing Friday. Uh, Gorgatron, who's also from Fargo. They've been holding down death metal kind of on the grindier, like Morbid Angel side uh, for like 12, 13 years almost. So maybe not more shit. Um, so they'll be, they're rocking that. Um, I don't even, I couldn't even tell you the full lineup for Friday. Oh, I, I, um, I got you. Well, I, I don't know about for Friday, but just for the listeners, if we have listeners that are inclined to travel to South Dakota. Um, Sioux Falls. To, to, yeah, it's the Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Friday, August 26th, and Saturday, August 27th. You got many past guests of our show, Immortal Suffering, Malignancy, Dysentery, Rottenness, Atoll, um, Elbow Deep with the, with the cover art, those guys. Um, <laughs> uh, trog- troglodytes playing over there. Shout out to them. Uh, Torn the Fuck Apart, a whole bunch of bands. And cesspool corruption. I'm just reading the names now. We got and Poon Tickler, yep. man. Poon Tickler's playing. So you guys, yeah, I know you guys are sweating that a little bit, but um, <laughs> I don't know who that is. But but shout, shout out to all the bands. We good luck with that Slam Dakota Fest. I, I love all these these regional uh, fests that are popping up. Shout out to MDF as well. But it's it's always a good thing. Um, and that's at least one. So if you're listening to this the, the day this episode drops and you're in the area, go to that. Uh, but talking about, I just want to get back to the album a little bit. You guys worked with uh, Redefining Darkness prior to this. You talked about how they were kind of helping you along with finding uh, people to mix and master the the album and so on and so forth. Didn't you guys also recently play a fest that was organized uh, primarily for bands with that label? Uh, yeah, yeah. So we got to release the album and then the next week do a two-week tour to support it and then in that tour play the labels fest so that was couldn't have worked out any better honestly <laughs> that was pretty cool to do um so into the darkness fest happened in uh youngston ohio a little two-dayer um and we based all we knew we were going to do an east coast run but we got to like base it around that fest so that was nice um took out tombstoner from staten island another uh redefining darkness band fucking great um we did like nine days with them eight days with them um but into the darkness that was a that was a really cool uh gratifying kind of reaffirming time to for mall i guess and for me personally too it was a killer lineup uh i you know i wish i could have made it out there obviously i'm in here here in new york um, mm-hmm. did you like, I, I imagine there must've been a spirit of camaraderie having a fest all around a label that you're on. Yeah, absolutely. And just like the excitement and you could, uh, just seeing a lot of friend bands, you know, hanging fortress and mutilatred and becoming friends with like throne and, uh, sentient horror. We did like three shows with them on that run too. Uh, so yeah, there was just a lot of, it was kind of like a getting together with Eric from life after death. Uh, records again like 
kind of a little family reunion, you know? Yeah, man. And, and you mentioned the tour. You, was that your first time uh, with the band or just yourself personally coming that far east to New York and Philly and so on? That was my first time in life being out in the northern east coast, yep. So that was even even cooler to experience because it was for the band, you know. <laughs> yeah, man. And you got what'd you play in New York City? Lucky thirteen? Yep, yep. Over in Brooklyn we played Lucky Thirteen. Uh we played Boston the day before with Philly, uh DC, all during a fucking heat wave and no AC in the van, so the only way you can do it. Yeah, I saw something on I saw something on your social media about no AC in the van. Tell me about that. Did, they, did it just break during oh, the tour? Yeah. Some like like some at no, some point or I tried to charge it before we left, but I think our compressors just shit and it was too little, too late to try to get into a shop. You know what I mean? And I was like, well, it you know it can't be that bad. We got the windows down and shit, but here comes, here comes fucking heat wave the entire time we. We left on Monday. We drove 13 hours straight to Toledo, played a house show there the next day, and then drove 13 hours straight to Worcestershire. And then that whole time we fucking played those four shows on the East Coast, it was like 95 with 98 humidity or some shit, like just brutal. (laughs) So like you're in the band, no AC. Decent enough, I guess, if you have the windows down, but it's still this hot air fucking kicking your ass all the traffic standstills where you're just, it immediately is a sauna, uh, getting to a small venue. Like we played century bar in Philly and that was like literally like a shoebox. So like outside <laughs> was hot. The van was hot. The venue was brutal. There was no rest anywhere, man. Yeah. I've been to century bar and lucky 13 is, I mean the shout to lucky 13, but they're not a huge venue when it's hot. <laughs> no, no, they, they had AC going and it was yeah. pretty packed. So it still got a little hot, but that was, that was honestly the better of the four that we played in the East coast. <laughs> did, did lucky 13 have the, uh, the women out dancing? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah as that- soon as I walked in, as soon as I walked in, like, uh, I think obituary playing and I saw go-go dancers. It was like, I saw metal posters everywhere. I was like, oh, yeah, this is home. That is a very, like, there's, like, very specific metal experiences that can be curated in New York City, and that's one of them. Yeah, it has to be. St. Vitus is definitely a different vibe, man. There's, there's like, different vibes. You know, you you catch a different flavor in New York City, each each venue. Uh, But, yeah, shout out to Lucky 13, man, and and the ladies working there. Um, uh, so, I mean, all in all with the tour, man, you know, the, you got, you got to see some new stuff and experience some new things We're like, I don't, you know, I don't want to drag it out, but maybe give me like a quick, like high point and low, like you already gave us the low point with the AC. That was brutal. Yeah, kind of get, the low point was, uh, DC and like the fourth day of that, that run of shows and heat wave. And we played a house basement. Oh God. And, <laughs> and man, there was some, there were some sketchy things at that spot that happened uh people falling and blood ha- uh, like falling in glass and blood happening and yikes uh it got cleaned by pouring a wa- chug of water on it a towel and then putting carpet over it and then later that night we slept on that carpet with air matches <laughs> <laughs> oh no uh so yeah that was kind of one of the lower points uh shout out shout out um <laughs> uh high points were definitely like lucky 13s like actually that was one of the coolest shows just highest energy and they treated it so nice uh it helped that it was tombstoners like hometown show too so um people really came out for that uh the fest 
Indianapolis. Indianapolis was a very good high, high of the tour. Uh, we played there at Black Circle Brewing in January. We got to play with uh, Obscene. So we got to come back already in July, and that was pretty cool. But uh, quite a few people from that show came out and brought some friends. And um, we played a much smaller bar that time, but the place is packed and people are rocking. So sometimes a small uh, a smaller venue is more fun. Sometimes you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm I definitely like the up close. Uh, intimate feeling or just everybody <laughs> fucking sweating on each other and bringing more <laughs> more of the primal beast energy out you know yeah man i mean you're from pro wrestling i get it man it's it's yeah uh, it's, there's a there's a there's a power there's a lot of parallels i'll absolutely. just say that you know what i mean um absolutely especially in uh just the road work grind and fucking self-promoting and i learned a lot in wrestling that i ended up using in mall actually so I'm sure of it, man. Yeah, it's you know, it's not just a, a punchline, man. I'm sure there, there's a they're both uh, forms of entertainment with kind of a um, a carnival streak to them for sure. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Uh, and and especially you know, road dogging it too. I, I like to listen a lot to um, uh, Jim Cornette's uh, podcast when he goes mainly when he tells the old road stories about how it used yep. to be on the road for those guys in the old days, you know. Cause shit was lawless in the fucking seventies and eighties. <laughs> yeah, different time altogether, man. You know, I like to listen to some of those wild stories. Um, yeah. uh, you know, you never, you never get that again. It's just crazy times. Um, speak- <laughs> so, all right, you've been very generous with your time. Um, you know, wrapping up, I just want to promote Seraphic Punishment as much as possible. I really enjoyed spending the afternoon with the album and with a lot of your back catalog, which is available out there as well. Um, this uh, Slam Dakota Fest we talked about today, hopefully people can catch you. Uh, if not, is there anything coming up for the future in terms of recording, any other shows that you might not have shared on social media? Uh, what do you guys have planned after that? So actually, Slam Dakota is going to be our last show for a little bit. We're going to lay low and try to write. Um, we haven't really gotten a chance to write anything since that that split that came out in December last year um, was actually the newest song we wrote. We kind of spent all of 2021 writing that. Uh, so between that and then shows picking up, uh, we just kind of crossed that uh, the full year of since we came back post pandemic and we've played almost 30 states like we've been busy 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 so we're we <laughs> finally taking some time to lay back and write some new shit um but we got a run in december uh it just got announced that uh little rock arkansas is doing a kind of an extreme metal fest called banging in the rock i uh, saw that the lineup looks like it's getting pretty hot Oh yeah, it's uh the full lineup is about to get announced uh, September second. So that was kind of the first round, but like uh, Shabalba, who's actually a gigantic reason to why Mall started, is on that. Um, fucking Genocide Pact is on that. Tribal Gaze, shout out Tribal Gaze. Um, yeah, there's gonna there's some heaters on that second announcement too. The, that full fest is going off, and we got to play Little Rock last January, and it's a very very cool scene with some young bands and young fans just ready to fucking tear it up. So it's cool seeing these middle of nowhere quote unquote spots, uh, getting some light. Yes, exactly. That's what I was saying with the slam Dakota thing. And, and, um, what, what was it? Ba- banging in the rock. What is it? Yeah. Banging in the rock. Yep. 
Beautiful, man. Um, you know, I wish I could travel a little bit more to some of these uh, uh, fests, but uh, um, that's awesome. Now, you you had mentioned before, um, and you and you mentioned uh, Zababa and uh, in, indigenous artists in, in extreme music and things like that. I didn't want to dwell on it too much, but um, it's obviously something I don't have any frame of reference for. I did pick up, though, from that Gomek Records interview, the one song on your new album, uh, Oracular Burial Grounds, is yeah. kind of written, I guess, from a bit of a, a native perspective uh, yeah. in, in terms of the, you know, the, like we say, the genocide that was um, perpetrated upon indigenous yep. people in this country. Is that fair to say? Yep, absolutely. That was, uh, it was kind of, I've had some songs, you know, referencing, like, disrespect of the planet and shit like that but i never like really fully got to like channel some you know some some anger uh it's a pretty pissed song um i never got to channel anything or frame anything like that or like a perspective of why that is so vile and uh you know getting to put the death metal fiction of how that story could unfold by you know conjuring basically an ancient indigenous deity and ending uh ending christianity <laughs> as the genocide uh, yeah it well it makes sense it, it especially you know we've discussed um uh on the podcast before bands like uh panopticon obviously who aren't from uh an indigenous perspective but kind of the idea of, of how in your in europe they use kind of more traditional folk elements to yep. make metal and here in the united states what would that be um and you you have uh, what's what's the band on nuclear war now is it is it pan american native front yep pan american native front is great i feel like them there was also a grindcore band called resistant culture that i Ooh, i don't know that i don't know that i you should look them up they're a really sick grindcore old school death metal band resistant culture with a few albums out on Bandcamp. and yeah. you know i know but well, the, the reason i bring them up both those bands kind of are you know overtly from the indigenous perspective and sing about those things whereas um you know with maul it seems like that's just kind of one of many things that's being brought into the into the picture the bigger question i'm getting at is there a separate music scene, a separate extreme metal scene within the indigenous community um, that that maybe is separate? Because, like I've touched on here, in New York City, there is a metal scene that is part of, in many ways, but also very separate from the main the, the main underground metal scene uh, in terms of la immigrants and and citizens from Latin America. Yeah, sure. That's uh, that's really sick. Um there's nothing that i'm well versed in i know that in uh new mexico there is an indigenous metal fest and i can't think of the name of it um there's a guy who runs a pod uh res metal podcast um he's a really cool dude big long time uh supporter just told me hang, uh chat with him quite a bit um kelvin and he was putting me on to there's some there's some good killer indigenous like black metal death metal in that area uh i think they're called like six million dead or something like that uh but they have there's a fest there that he was saying that we should come down and play and i want to i should look in more into that because i want to hit new mexico regardless so um but yeah i'm not too i'm not too sure on like an actual 
indigenous metal scene. I know that Black Braid is a newer uh, one-man black metal project that's getting a lot of light, and they're fucking fantastic. So, fair enough, man. Um, that you know, it's just something that that picked my interest. Uh, the last several years, as I kind of keep delving deeper in, into into metal, um, for the for the sake of the podcast, I you mentioned the Res Metal podcast. I have to look that up because I have a book here called Res Metal that is, I guess, it's a, a companion to a documentary of that. I don't know if it's it's the the same. Um, yeah, I have seen that book. I have seen that book. Yeah, it's uh, um the there's a band I don't conform with a K and the the guy ended up working with producer Fleming Rasmussen uh, of Metallica fame and all this. It's a, it's a short book that's actually a companion to a documentary, but it's called Res Metal. I got to look up this Res Metal podcast. Um just cuz I always uh not just indigenous people, but I always want to present a broad spectrum of uh you know, people's experiences in metal from all over the world on the podcast. So that's that's kind of why I, I um I went there and I, I appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Man. Um, uh, as, as we wind down, uh, Garrett, I'm going to bring it now to a question. I ask everybody, um, as we wind down, could you please recommend for me and the listeners, one older and one newer release by any band you like, any artist you like metal or otherwise. One older, one newer. Yeah, no, no stringent rules. Demo EP album, twenty years ago, fifteen years ago, two months ago. Just something old, something new. Sure. Um, let's see here. Put <clears throat> me. I always blank out when I'm on the fucking. It's want- like I know I know so much shit, and then as soon as someone asks me a question, I'm like, oh. The problem is fu- <laughs> funneling it all into one answer. That's always the problem. Right. All right, let's do a fun one. Let's do a uh, uh, gore rotted from the UK, like, kind of gore, gore yeah. grind death metal. Um, they had some. They actually had some uh, influence on a song in our EP called "Chain Hand and Drain." Just like really fun song titles like that. They had like <laughs> her gash. I did smash right. That was one yeah, of their. Yeah, I, yeah. I I I apologize, but I do remember that one. <laughs> I had their first yeah, album. Many years but ago. they put like that comedic bit to yeah. a, like or like literally like comic book esque yeah. shit to like violent horror scenes. <laughs> it, it was a little bit of a precursor to bands like Party Cannon and things like that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So Gorod put out a uh, uh, mutilated in minutes. That's a good album. Yeah, yeah. Good band. <laughs> I haven't even thought about them in years. That's awesome. Um, new band. I mean, I've been. <sighs> The new Tribal Gay song is fucking great. I've been riding really hard for like uh, the Riding Shadows boys. They kind of play some uh, both their influence death metal with some like hardcore S spot. They're from Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, another gurgling gore release. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd put Riding Shadows on there. Yeah, I we just for the listeners, I interviewed Big Daddy Gore of Gurgling Gore Records not too long ago. That's kind of like like what what led me down the road here to um be, to be speaking with you. Uh, and we did talk about um, Writhing Shadows and a bunch of uh, his his releases. Man, that's definitely a great band. I've kind of been following along with them since their early tape releases. That album they put out is another good one. Uh, it's just kind of like a renaissance time for, for for death metal, man. It's it's all good. It really is, man. I feel like a bunch of you know, a new generation is really putting on for whatever is advancing in death metal. And I feel like just the labels and everyone working together is fucking kind of setting a cool tone for what can happen, you know? 
Yeah, man. And if and if you're old like me, don't be cynical. Just listen to some nice spins. It's all good. Um, yeah, man. So, so don't hate on the internet. So, uh, Garrett Alvarado of Maul, M-A-U-L, uh, from Fargo, North Dakota. N- new album, Seraphic Punishment on Redefining Darkness and Gurgling Gore for the cassette. I really appreciate your time. You've been very generous with your time. Any um, Anything I forgot to mention, plug or promote, uh, or any um, uh, uh, um, new plans or anything? No, no. I don't think we missed anything, honestly, man. Yeah, I, I didn't get to talk about my uh, my secret uh, biggest idol, or the who who got me into death metal vocals, Chris Barnes from Six Feet Under, specifically. <laughs> really? Is that is that uh, is that true, or is that are you are you or are you just ribbing him? No, that's that's actually factual. I was like twelve years old, and I got my first death metal CD, and it was Maximum Violence because my oh cousin's boyfriend didn't like it and he knew i liked heavy stuff and like i was infatuated instantly <laughs> wow maximum violence that's okay yeah. man so you're so you're a chris barnes ride or die right there uh no i wouldn't say that i wouldn't say that but <laughs> he, uh <laughs> i don't i don't hate on a lot of six feet under even though it is kind of cheese ball but there's some there's some good in there <laughs> you got you, know, you i know you bought your tour van at that car place where he did the commercial man that's funny yep. <laughs> damn okay man i i get it because i see i don't know about i'm not a huge six feet under fan not knocking it man if you love it listen to it but i you know people talk all this shit about chris barnes and yeah he's done some funny stuff last several oh, years but you know butchered at birth tomb of the mutilated the, the uh the bleeding these are classic death metal albums you know we can't deny it. you know even six feet under has their moments you know it's it's all good man right um, no he's definitely kind of writes <laughs> kind of writes some jokes for himself but uh you can't yeah. deny the the influence and the impact he made he's kind of become like the you know like rick to life from 25 to life he's become oh, like he's absolutely that <laughs> he's like that for death metal down to the haircut oh man oh we should boy. get them on a debate dude i would love to talk to either of those guys man i should reach out actually man I don't don't <laughs> let's not let's not let's not <laughs> joke. yeah dude let's not joke too much i'll be asking uh to rick to life if, if he's from a musical family um <laughs> if he's from a particularly tattooed on his face family but uh uh garrett thank you so much for your time brother i appreciate it man and i urge the listeners to check out maul mall seraphic punishment uh the brand new album man great album brother i enjoyed listening to it and i enjoyed talking to you man um uh, good luck with everything in the future appreciate it man this is uh this is cool i like the show a lot and uh i really fuck with uh you know afterbirth and regan aura and all that shit i think it's uh it's cool to talk to you man hey cheers man i i appreciate that man thank you Big shout to Maul. Um, we appreciate their time uh, talking all about the history of the band, everything that's been going on lately, the tours. We wish them the best of luck in the future. Um, that was a little, we kind of foreshadowed that when we talked to Big Daddy Gore from Gurgling Gore Records. Uh, shout to him. He, this is like a, I didn't think this was going to be a camping themed episode, but I know, I remember Big Daddy Gore from Gurgling Gore Records talking about he was going to be out camping 
when his episode dropped that weekend, he was going to be off the grid camping, allegedly. So he, we, we couldn't even get in touch with him to say, hey, here's the link or whatever, man. And now we, we had more. You were talking about camp. I love this, man. Um, when you were camping, Dave, uh, shout out to our co-host Dave, by the way, just for the listeners. We're back. Dave, when you were out there camping, did you go fishing? Heavy whole question. You know, I didn't. My my kid was like, he wanted to go fishing. I just, I have fishing rods, but they're at my parents' house, and I just didn't grab them before we went. Bummer. Oof. Childhood yeah. trauma. Okay, we're we're gonna set you up with jo- <laughs> set you up with Justin out there. Uh, speaking of childhood trauma, no shout to Justin. Um, he'll set you up with some fishing rods and and reels and all that, and get the real deal. But uh, what what other kind of outdoor activities did you do out there? Was that, you know were we hiking or did you do what did you put something on the grill? What's going on? Yeah, we just kind of hung out. Um, we went for a walk, went by the, down by the river, and kind of watched boats go by uh had a camp had a big campfire looking out for drank, justin yeah. drank a bunch of beer that's good american pastime man i was um drinking beer and grilling chorizo this afternoon myself chorizo is good yeah i felt very american man i don't like to get political but i was just i i was i was feeling myself listening to uh judas priest as i do when i feel very american i, I read um uh rob halford's uh autobiography interesting book i don't know if you're f- familiar with that man i didn't know he had an autobiography I, I really would be interested in checking that out i gotta say dave now that we got you here on on zoom you kind of look like <laughs> at the moment you kind of got a rob alfred thing going on with the beard thanks i guess <laughs> <laughs> all right man getting back to classic uh metal like we're talking about let's zoom back into long island um something that i think you will agree that you got going on is a lot of knowledge about the 90s Long Island death metal scene. That's why we keep you around, Dave. And tonight we're going to be right in your neighborhood. We decided um, the the internal bleeding demos, uh, the EP and the demo, they've been reissued on various formats. Uh, back in the day, we had Chris Prevelis on uh, for a full episode of the band's history. We also at one point had Frank Reaney, um, a longtime vocalist of internal bleeding on. Uh, so right now we're going to get into and break down some of their material before the classic Voracious Contempt uh, and talk talk a little shit about that. Yeah, so I just got to go do something. Yeah, man. Sorry, man, there's a cat stuck in a closet. <laughs> That's great. I'm going to tell Tom to pop the first uh, 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 internal bleeding demo right in there, man. So so we'll, we'll come in off, off of that. <laughs> I read the cat. All right, so you got the cat out of the closet. While you were doing that, uh, just as just as always, Dave, uh, you, you were getting the cat out of the closet. Um, I had to play something for the listeners. We played them that internal bleeding uh invocation of evil demo um let's talk about it let's break that down man i know you and i've been kind of going back and forth and you're excited about a release do you want to plug that release first that you've been showing everybody the last few days yeah i got the uh i don't know why i'm picking it up because nobody can see it but i got the the alien breed vinyl reissue from uh btk recordings 
and uh, it's a nice little package. You know, it's double double LP. It comes with a nice little book with a bit of a write up and some pictures from each uh, each release. The the one dollar demo, uh, invocation, and perpetual degradation. Yeah, and we were we were just talking about before before we started rolling tonight about uh, vinyl releases and these reissues. Um, and how sometimes they have like a nice write up with pictures and a little bit of history. Uh, you feel like you get a little more bang for your buck, right? Yeah. I think, uh, you know, you don't have to do a lot, but there's always kind of nice to just have like a little bit of like, just a little something, you know, like I hate it when it's just kind of like a, uh, like the, the album cover artwork, like messed up somehow. And then like a picture of like the most recent lineup and no, like no information about the, the release, like lineups or you know, songwriting credits or anything like that. Yeah. It's like a picture of picture, like a couple of guys from, from like nowadays, but it's a release of like music from 30 years ago kind of thing that, yeah. yeah. Record labels are, are lazy, man. Yeah. Some of them are, man. There's, there's, I agree with you. Cause some of these reissues nowadays seem a little thrown together. Some better than others, man. I think you said this one passes the, 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 the sniff test, right? Yeah. I'm, pr- I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, and and then Comatose Music also put out Heritage of Sickness, which is a collection of them on CD, um, at at some point fairly recently, man. So this Invocation of Evil, this was the first demo after that one dollar demo, um, which was kind of like your old school rehearsal style demo. Uh, this Invocation of Evil, interesting, man. It's got the uh, the the kind of like legendary mysterious figure Wallace Milton on vocals um who was not necessarily in the underground death metal scene for a long time but at a crucial time that is uh very historical nowadays i believe he also drew um the pyrexia logo originally and some artwork from that and we've discussed him on um several episodes when we when we interviewed author donna Gaines. Uh, who hung out with that crew of internal bleeding and pyrexia guys a lot in the old days as research for her sociology books. Uh, we talked a little bit about Wallace and his artwork and things like that. Um, so this demo kind of, I, I feel like this nowadays gets a little bit more hype than it used to in this day of like reissues and internal bleeding the last uh, several years has like been on a a big upswing and they're playing up the old material a lot like it seems like more people know about this nowadays uh yeah i mean you know i I think it it helps too the the fact that they kind of reformed in the last like 10 years where they had like that break in like the aughts where they were I don't know if they were actually broken up or just inactive or what, but like they just weren't doing anything. But I feel like once they got back together and they started playing again, they they kind of like rang everybody's bell a little bit and they kind of started thinking about the band a little more than they probably had been. Yeah, well, we we talked about this just for the listeners. If they missed the first time that we had you on, Dave, for a death metal discussion with Dave Glad, and we went like in depth on the internal bleedings, like sub scene, like all the other band repudiation and um and torturement and all these other bands that popped up around the area and around the time and there was a weird period we, we talked about where internal bleeding um chris Pervelis uh wasn't on uh the album onward to mecca and it was a, a younger crowd and then after that there was a long period of inactivity you're right and then we see briefly brian hobby bill tolly chris Pervelis. 
Um, who was singing for them when they first got back? No, that was the when Keith DeVito was was back with them, and then the Imper- the Imperium album came out, right? So yeah, so they got back together with that, and then Chris Prevellis hooked up with Chris McCarthy, formerly of Without Remorse, uh, you know, Long Island um, uh, hardcore and death metal guitarist. So you know, uh, hey, well, I got to break in here for a sec. Um, I know you're probably looking at notes on your phone, but it kind of looks like you're like doing like an Instagram live or something like that, or Facebook live stream. Like on your, because you're looking at your phone while you're like talking yeah. and shit. So I, I, it makes you look like you're like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like doing, Sorry, like a, doing a live stream. No, it's funny. I mean, no one could see it, just you and me, but I just think that that's just what made me think of it. I was like, you're like an influencer. No, no, dude. I'm literally, Dave caught me. I'm on Metal Archives tonight um, on the internal bleeding page. But yeah, what I'm getting around to is that they've been back the last few years on this upswing. So maybe these albums have been getting a little more attention, man. And maybe I was going on a little bit of a tangent. We could we could uh, edit that out, but that was good stuff. So 1992, Invocation of Evil, the song titles Beyond the Gates of Tardis, Despoilment of Rotting Flesh, Gutted Human Sacrifice. It, you know, this is a different internal bleeding. This is them just starting out. You know what this reminded me of? I got to be honest, a little bit like Morpheus Descents. Yeah, it has like that. Um it's it's like a like a like a dirtier sounding sounding recording than their later stuff, but it's like it's heavy and chugging and stuff. It's not. It's like I, I can totally see the uh, the comparison. Similar vocal styles. It's it reminds me a lot of um, Pyrexia's demo and Sermon of Mockery in some ways too. <laughs> Uh, no, notably, Daryl Wagner makes a guest vocal appearance on this, the, the, the singer of Pyrexia at the time of Sermon. And Guy Marche of Suffocation and Pyrexia fame is credited with songwriting on track three, anyway, um, Ruthless in Humanity, which is interesting. So it's like this is a, you know, when we break it down, everyone knows we have that like tree of Long Island death metal where Suffocation is the trunk. And then Pyrexia and Internal Bleeding are like these two branches with a lot of different offshoots over the years. And here's where you see Internal Bleeding in like the the infantile stage in this Invocation of Evil demo where there's still a lot of that Pyrexia influence, a lot of that suffocation influence. And um, it has that cult death metal, especially with Wallace's kind of cupped mic sounding rough vocals. Um I, I I thought it was because I haven't listened to this in many many years. To be perfectly honest with you, man, I kind of stayed with Voracious Contempt for a very long time, and um, I got I, I, listeners of the show might know I I got obsessed with the the middle era albums for a long time too. But um, this was really cool, man. It reminded me a lot of like Morpheus Descends and some of that northeastern death metal we talk about, man. I forgot how great this was, man. I don't know, Dave. Any other thoughts on this uh, Invocation of Evil or Daryl uh, um, uh, Wallace Milton? Well, I, I wanted to back up just a second because you were talking about like Pyrexia and the connection between the two bands, and it like it it just popped in my head this second. I didn't even get a chance to. I didn't think of it before when I was making notes, but I remember reading an old issue of SOD magazine. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was like yeah. Sounds of Death. Yeah, there was an interview with Chris Prevellis, and it actually it was talk about how he actually tried out for Pyrexia way back, I guess, in like the the early nineties before internal bleeding started. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He tried out for the band. And I guess he, he couldn't hack it. Like he wasn't good enough. That's funny because we've obviously had Chris Basile of Pyrexia on the show many times. I think he might've mentioned that briefly. Um, 
I don't know that he even went into that that great detail. So that would be interesting to see that SOD interview, man. That's funny. Yeah, that was part of my stack of uh, fanzines that I, I don't have anymore, I don't think, unfortunately. But yeah. I'm sure we could find it maybe somewhere on the internet. But um, yeah, I was going to say, too, that the Invocation of Evil, it's really the first release of theirs where they kind of like have their sound down. It's not, I guess, quite as... Uh, breakdown oriented i guess is like the later stuff but um you know it, it's it's like the uh if you listen to the one dollar demo there's like hints of that like internal bleeding sound on a lot of the songs but then there's also like these other kind of more traditional death metal or thrash metal elements that they kind of like did away with after that so like this is like the first release just straight up ib you know, brutal, brutal death metal. Hell yeah. I'm laughing because your cat's still in there, Dave. Yeah, no, I, I can't get rid of him. All right. All right. All right. Well, I was going to say, let's, let, let's, let's wrap it up for Invocation of Evil uh, and get into the Perpetual Degradation EP, which was, if I'm not mistaken, 1994 on Wild Regs, right? Yes. Uh, all right. So I'll pretend you're chasing your cat out while we play that for the listeners. Yeah, Perpetual Degradation EP on Wild Regs. Interesting story with Bill Tolley taking over on vocals um, because I guess Wallace Milton had parted ways with the band or they didn't they didn't like the way the vocal tracks had turned out or something of that nature. I actually and, heard a rumor years ago that there actually is a rough mix of Perpetual Degradation with Wallace singing. Like, I think they booted him in the studio. Like, they, he did his parts and they were just like, not into it. I I read some some weird comment section stuff that alluded to that, you know. But you can you never know. But yeah, that's that's kind of like top what I heard. secret stuff that no one trades. But <laughs> trade secrets allegedly, as we yeah. always say. Uh, and Cody, um, when we interviewed my bandmate Cody Drasser of Afterbirth, he talked a little bit about being in the studio when Bill Tolley recorded the vocals to Perpetual Degradation. Uh, back in the day that shows you how tight knit the look we talk about pyrexia and suffocation internal bleeding and you know this is how close knit some of these guys were back when they were a lot younger doing this long island death metal thing um so yeah bill tolly takes over on vocals just because they needed vocals for the release which is interesting to, to listen to because he he doesn't sound like an unpolished brand new death metal singer he sounded like he was ready to have been a front man had he chose to be a front man instead of a drummer no, you're right. He's got he's got a really good tight uh, delivery. I actually, when I first got the CD, I thought that they just that that was it. That was like the drummer sang. Yeah, I didn't realize that that they had like a full time singer because that was a. I, I think I got it was like we we did this like as a group like me and my brother and my friend Ray. We like sent an order to Internal Bleeding and got like Invocation of Evil, Petrol Degradation. Like someone got a shirt. So like we had all the, the music at the same time, but you're like, you know, the new one, you're like, oh, there's only four guys in the band. This one's got five guys. Like, you don't know what's going on. There's no internet. Like, 
yeah. you can't uh you can't look stuff up so you're like oh man they're a four piece now they and i just thought that's the uh the drummer sang and then you know later on i was like oh they got a, an actual singer i read about it in like metal maniacs or something yeah there was no metal archives back in the day to look everything up shout to metal archives it's hard man yeah but um and this was also uh you know we, when we talked to chris Pervelis, he talked all about wild rags records and his experiences with with them and uh all that sort of thing um this so this came out back nowadays it's like a collector's item because that label is kind of infamous it folded and so on and so forth uh but it, luckily it's been reissued in these formats uh that, that we talked about before the alien breed and the heritage of sickness releases this feels also like you know in addition to the to the vocals like the kind of shock that we have of the vocals mm-hmm. and the interesting story of the late bill tolly taking over on vocals the songwriting sounds this to me is them stepping into what we now know to be internal bleeding in a way or what we have always come to know as classic internal bleeding sound you know like this this to me sounds like uh, a band that is ready to step into the the voracious contempt era and the extinction of benevolence era this this to me sounds a little bit more like the internal bleeding that I grew up watching in the mid to late 90s and you know so on and so forth like kind of stepping out of the I'll just say, like, compositionally and songwriting-wise, stepping out of the shadow of the Long Island death metal sound, uh, what it was then, and making their own version of it, which is a little bit more influenced by groove than even Suffocation and Pyrexia were, were going at the time, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's like, th- this was when they were really making their strides, playing all the festivals and doing, like, doing shows out of town, booking big fests, like in a Huntington at the Roxy and yeah, just really establishing themselves and the, uh, their sound getting it down. If I'm not mistaken, Frank Rini joined right after this and was performing this type of stuff live with them. Right. I believe so. I think he, I think he joined like pretty much right after yeah. um, the thing was released or recorded. And like, I think, by the time it got released, I think he was like in the band. Yeah, we we got the whole story from him when we interviewed him. People could go back and check that out if they're interested. Man, it's I think he, he, it's been a long time since we recorded that episode, and I've done plenty of interviews since then. So forgive me if uh, my brain's a little fried, but I I think I recall him talking about going out and playing some fest in the Midwest as like his first show with them right after this was released. Man, that must have been something else back in the day. Uh, and we used to, and we talked to uh, Dan Gates, um, uh, guitarist Dan Gates, who used to be in the band Ton uh, from Ohio. They did a lot of uh, back and forth with Internal Bleeding in the '90s too, man. So that's just just for the listeners for where we're at in terms of this release, if they want a little bit more context and history. Um, but yeah, perpetual degradation, really Internal Bleeding stepping into their own, and I feel like the vocals here too, because like the Wallace Milton vocals on Inherit. Um, uh invocation of evil um were very kind of cryptic it had that kind of cupped mic almost like a chris barnes type of sound which i wasn't like enunciating or anything like that very 90s underground tape trader guttural death metal vocals which i love to death but bill tolly sounds a little bit more professional a little bit more, um, I mean, there's also just the, the clarity is a little bit better in, in general, which speaks to the production, but just his delivery, his cadence, uh, all that sort of thing, you know, he's getting out of the undecipherable 
gargled death metal vocals, which I like and which is a style. Um, and but setting the tone, I think, for what would go on to become the internal bleeding vocal style over the years, regardless, you know, because you had Frank Reaney come on and Frank Reaney made his own contributions. Um, but I, I think a little bit of that cadence and that kind of internal bleeding style was definitely set by Bill Tolley on this perpetual degradation. Yeah. And, you know, like Chris Prevelis has said many times that what he was looking for was like a vocalist where he could understand what he was saying, but still sound like air quotes brutal. And I feel like Bill Tolley was like, he might as well have been speaking in a clear voice. It was so you could understand every single word he was saying. It was really like such a difference from uh from Wallace Milton to be like I mean it was yeah you can understand every word he said it was really uh very 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 clear compared yeah. to uh other other singers of the time yeah and even when Frank Reaney joined Frank Reaney had Frank Reaney's like a he's a bit of a chameleon on vocals he can do a lot of different styles and I know he kind of prides himself on being able to do different ranges. Um, and he, you know, he even brought it, brought back some of those gutturals and those, those old school vocals, uh, when he joined him, but yeah, when but that, that perpetual degradation, you really hear Bill shine on vocals, man. Um, uh, and getting past that now, uh, there's one little bonus thing that we wanted to throw in here. I kind of threw it at Dave this afternoon. Cause I was, I was walking down memory lane, uh, which to me usually leads to discogs, unfortunately, um, uh, for my wallet. But I found for a very reasonable price uh, from right here in New York, I found a copy of R22 is the band. R22 uh, from Long Island, New York. Their their self-released album from 1999, A Picture is Worth a Thousand Lies, which in my summation is an ambitious but capable new metal album with very progressive tendencies. And it also shows um how entrenched these guys were in the local Long Island and New York City hardcore and death metal scenes. Really impressive new metal album for its time with elements of deathcore. Dave, I want to let you you take it and and do you do you agree with any of that or disagree with any of that? You know, I was when you brought this up, this album, I I probably hadn't listened to this in easily 10 years, 10 15 years. You know, it's just I, it's one of those bands that I I knew these guys are 22. They were part of like the larger circle that I hung out with in like my teens and twenties. Like it was the same group of guys that were in like, you know, in torchment, the bearded fetus, internal bleeding, all those guys. Like it was just, we were all in the same area. So I kind of just knew them, but, uh, you know, I was kind of wondering how to describe the sound because like it definitely has like i you could say new metal but i almost feel like calling them new metal is like an insult that, yeah i i don't want to label them that but we're also talking about 99 like this is like if if you included bands like like faith no more or like mm-hmm. i don't even know yeah they leaned into else? they leaned into early 90s grunge and rock a little bit like there's a lot going on with r22 and they came out right in the wake of slipknot blowing up so there was this kind of uh also between the buried and me no was or maybe that was a little bit later i don't want to get into that but i'm just making the point that in 98 99 when r22 was doing this candiria might be a really good example to bring into the picture we'll talk about them on an upcoming episode um 
they were doing this thing that was very influenced by local hardcore and death metal. I want to say maybe like the Deftones and well, I, system. I think that we should describe their sound a little bit. Like they were, they had like the melodic sort of commercial heavy edge of like, like all the bands you're talking about, like Deftones, uh, Faith No More, Slipknot, any of those bands, but they had the guitar player had like that really nice singing voice, very melodic. But the lead singer, Alex, had he was nuts. It was he was like Kevin Sharp, basically, or like Barney Greenway. That was like imagine one of those guys fronting like Faith No More. That's like the 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 the, the best way I could kind of describe it. Like it's well written, melodic, yeah. uh you know, but still heavy kind of commercial metal, late nineties commercial metal, but they just had this like a death metal singer, basically, or grindcore singer, but restrained. You know, he was like, he didn't, there was plenty of room for, for clean vocals and singing and melody. And there was a lot, uh, the arrangement of the vocals was really good. They were all good at what they would, they did, man. And, and yeah, yeah yeah that's like to call it new metal is a little bit of a disservice but it's like there's a lot i would only say it and if i'm talking about new metal in terms of like system of a down deftones slipknot like the cream of the crop you know it is yeah it it is the easiest uh label to put on it because it's not you say metal and it's like they don't they're not like slayer or dark angel or like yeah you know something like that they're they were like the modern metal of the time, the modern like commercial yes. metal. It, it was like if a band was influenced by the Deftones and Dehumanized or something in a way. I like, and they played shows. I wouldn't be surprised if at one point R twenty two played with Dehumanized. They definitely played with Internal Bleeding in a lot of those bands. But that's I yeah. don't know. That's up for debate. But R twenty. That's the thing about them is they played out. They were one of those bands, much like Candiria at the time, who could play with death metal bands and hardcore bands and even more commercial rock bands. They were kind of all over the place to that degree. But the vo- you're right, the vocalist was really brutal. And they had some more melodic parts where there was some singing and even a little... They experiment through them. It's a very experimental, progressive album. It's really, yeah. you know, really interesting stuff. I think, they, if I'm not mistaken, they, they were from Oceanside or members were from Oceanside. Yeah, and- Oceanside, Baldwin that area yeah i saw them in massachusetts in probably 99 or so with what were you doing in massachusetts it's with a, r22 it's, it's a funny story man um with uh hardcore bands I, one of them was uh drained uh from massachusetts but but um I, I had a friend, Mike Norton, shout out to him if he's out there. So he's probably out there somewhere. I haven't talked to the guy in years, but he was a few years older than me. And when I was in high school, he used to drive me to shows. Um, and he actually drove us out to Milwaukee Metal Fest, too. Uh, but he, we drove up to Massachusetts for the weekend with, with the R22 guys because he was friends with some of them, too. And I guess I was acquainted with some of them because I was in Cursed Earth. And Cursed Earth's drummer, Chris, there was a, the, the drummer of Cursed Earth's brother was in a band called Ill Communication, who's in the thanks list for R22, which, which is interesting. So, like, there, there was a little, like, loose-knit circle of Nassau County, Long Island people that I was, like, a few years younger than and kind of didn't fit in with, with. But because I was in Cursed Earth, I was, a, I was a hanger-on. So I ended up tagging along up to Massachusetts for the weekend and going to that show. 
And um, I was probably just an obnoxious teenager to, uh, to those guys, but it was it was awesome getting, remembering now that I got to go see them live and all that. It's cool shit, man. R22, yeah, I don't. people can definitely find this on YouTube. I don't know that it's out there, out there, but... Um, yeah, I didn't look this up on, like, Spotify or anything like that. I do. I, I would be surprised if it was on that because it's kind of a obscure very item. Yeah, very much so. I think one of these guys popped up on Long Island Metal History facebook uh, uh months and months ago although i remember oh shit like that's that. right i was going to mention that um so after this album was released uh you know i didn't follow them that closely they were just like because like i said like i they were just sort of like people that i knew kind of in general from the area but uh pete masillo who played guitar played drums in bearded fetus and played guitar in, in torturement uh he ended up playing guitar with these guys for a few years as R22? Yeah. So how long how long were they around, do you know? Like after this, like into the 2000s? Yeah, into the 2000s, not very far. Like I as far as I know they didn't do any other releases, so it, I think it would just be you know, maybe they they gigged around a little bit. Uh You know, I I think the I don't they, they did have like real label interest at one point, but I think it just kind of never materialized but uh you know yeah, what they, they i'm sorry I'm, I'm sorry go ahead go ahead no i was gonna say like i don't i think they they probably just played random shows like going into the aughts and probably broke up at some point i don't know i did I, I as far as i know they didn't do any other anything of note i um the the early 2000s were hard on some of those more new metalish bands from the late nineties, because then everybody got into the scene, scene core, metal core, hair flip, tight, you know, tight pants, white belt, kind of, you know, number twelve looks like you type of thing, and um, you know, if you had any trace of that like Genco jeans, new metal thing going on, it was a little, eh. but you know, I'm looking now. I looked up R22 band. They have uh, a Facebook page that was updated last in October 2021, but um, I guess these guys are, yeah, Pete Musil, live, yeah, I guess these guys were back together jamming at some point over the pandemic, so you never know, man, you might see this again, that's interesting, man, so people nice. could actually look them up uh, on Facebook for more, oh, here you go, this is this is interesting, man, um, from 2000, from the year 2000, Tree with special guest casket. I've never heard of any of these bands. Unearth, handwritten, no logo. An R22, um, all ages show, uh, Saturday, September 26th at the New World Cafe in Lynn, Massachusetts. That's not the one I went to. That's funny. Unearth, like th- third to uh, headlining band. Like Unearth, not even doing direct support at that point, man. That's how big they got, man. This is a crazy one right here. Friday, Friday, February 4th, 2000, Lamore, Brooklyn, presents Hatebreed, Candiria, E-Town Concrete, R22. That's to show you where R22 was at in the year 2000 off of this album they put out. They were direct support for E-Town, Candiria, and Hatebreed at Lamore in Brooklyn, New York. That's a big show. Um, so that speaks to what you were saying, too. I guess they gigged around, and it just, after a while, it was tough, man. I don't know. But they, they were right there with E-Town Concrete. That was a good pairing. Interesting, man. I would have loved to have been at that show. Yeah, they were. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they made the effort. They they uh, played around a lot, and I guess it just uh, petered out at some point. You know, guys, people don't want to be doing that for you know 
the rest of their lives or something. <laughs> some no. some people I do. That's why yeah. that's why I'm 40 years old tracking down the R22 CD. Oh my god. Let's let it roll. Dave, I thank you for guiding me because these these eyeglasses I got are very scuffed up from getting punched in the face at Shaker's Pub at that show, infamously. Uh, guiding me on this path down memory lane because my vision's bad. Tonight, uh, talking about internal bleeding and R22 and Oceanside, New York, and the 90s and all that sort of thing, man. Um, we also thank Maul. Please go check out Maul, uh, Gurgling Gore Records, um, showing that support, underground death metal love. Uh, what else is going on, Dave? Anything I forgot? Any shows you know about coming up? Or? Yeah, dude, there's actually a fucking great tour coming up. That It actually, what's, is this episode going to, this is going to air? I think we're looking at next Friday. Oh, shit, all right. I'm going to save that then. I, I'm going to save the shows for the one that's going to air this Friday because I got this this test uh, Ixius tour. What is it? It's a test. It's a band from Brazil. They're like a grindcore band. Okay, I'm like, I'm a little, I'm out of the loop. They're uh they're a two piece. Um, they've got some stuff out on a uh, Nerve Alter Records. Okay. Uh, and then this band Ixias, I-X-I-A-S. They're like, I think they're from like Baltimore or something like that. They're like weird experimental uh, grind, as far as I know. And they're they're torn together. They're playing yeah. in, in uh, Brooklyn, actually, on Thursday. So th- we'll miss that show for the, uh, the listeners. But uh, yeah, it should be cool. All right. Yes, Dave. Dave's on. Always on some shit, man. I, I I don't even know about that yet. The young people know about that. The guys in the mall might know about that. Um, the guys in the mall might. Know. I'm I'm, sorry, I'm dropping dad jokes. I'm not making a good case for myself. But Dave, I want to talk to you about um some shows coming up. The, the listeners can go back. We had death metal discussion with Dave part two <clears throat> a few weeks ago, and we also had. Uh, Rick Habib on um, as my guest co-host when I interviewed Mike Dumps from Iron Sheik. Those two episodes, we gave a pretty thorough rundown of shows coming up in the tri-state area and in New England um, uh, in the next month or two. But just a few I want to remind people about uh, the Long Island Takeover uh, for the Path to War record release. That's going on Saturday, September 17, 2022 at the Runaway in D.C. That's Bowel Erosion, Stabbed, Exsanguinated, a band I, uh, no shame in this plug, I'm singing for now, uh, and as always, and the band Path to War uh, with their Chaos Eternal release show. Um, that's going to be the Saturday, the September the 17th in the Runaway, D.C. Shout out to everybody down there in D.C. 
Um, what else? We got the uh, the 26th, which is probably the day that you're listening to this show is August 26th. If you're listening to it in time to come out to St. Vitus, uh, Friday, August 26th for a classic legacy brutal death metal band, Rotravore with Ritual Mass. Um, and of course, Exsanguinated opening up, man. Looking forward to seeing you guys there. Looking forward to getting back on stage. And also, Reeking Aura, another band I'm in. We just put out our Blood and Bone Meal album on Profound Lore Records. We're going to be there September the 3rd, Saturday at Amityville Music Hall, at 1 p.m. sharp. Uh, come there early uh, for the matinee record release show of that album. Uh, going to be a good time. And I, I think um, that's that's probably all I got now. Look out in September for Exsanguinated. We're trying to book some more shows. Shows down there in the uh, what do you say? I guess that the M what do they call it? The MDV area, Maryland, DC, Virginia area. We're trying to get something popping so down the, there. The, the Mid Atlantic region. Yeah, the mid the, uh, the, the official term. The mid the you got kids. I'll believe you. You're probably there with the history books. Um, the Mid Atlantic region. Yeah. So shout look up Exsanguinated on the social media for down there. Uh, we also got um, Reeking Aura looking to hook up with a with a past guest of the show's band, past a past band we had on the show a long time ago, and we're going to go out there and play some shows, uh, I'll just say towards the Midwest and South in November. We'll wait till that's announced, man, but keep on the lookout for Exsanguinated and Reeking Ore. I'm, tr- I'm trying to get out there on the road, too. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, the, I'm, tired, I'm, I'm tired of sitting home. I'm not the only one out there, you know what I'm saying? You should do it, man. It's nice. Yeah, man. Me, me and Dave were talking about going to a fest, right? Yeah. Maybe <laughs> Horde Tour? With Blues Traveler, remember that? I, I thought we we could follow around um, the Knot Fest <laughs> wherever it goes. I might have too much fun. <laughs> cannot it might change. Slip cannot might change the whole dynamic of this show, man. I that's that's why I don't I mean, go to uh, the Juggalo Fest. Or we could just become Deadheads. There's always something Deadhead related happening. Uh I've, I'm a few. I'm a f- like a, a, an eighth or two of shrooms away from that already, man. The the dress code is a little bit more uh, accessible to me uh, for for a Deadhead than for a metalhead. You know, the, the the whole leather and vests and you know the the metal thing. Like, no, I'm I'm already into sweatpants and you know bright bright colors. Why why not? Let's do it. You know, like, I I need bright colors because I move slow. I don't want to get hit by any moving vehicles. You know, that's why I got to wear the yeah, tie dye shirts. Metalheads uh, frown at my flip flops. I pretty much wear flip flops all the time. So, God bless those hippies. Yeah, you just can't let anyone take pictures from the ankles up, man. You know that's no for for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of creepy guys on the internet nowadays, but we won't get into that, man. Um, you just let us know when you open up your your OnlyFans tape. <laughs> We, done and done. We don't have OnlyFans yet for Heavy Hole Pod. Justin might. I don't know what Justin's doing on the side there, but uh, we don't have one. Actually, his, his band, uh, shout out to Justin, his project, Dangerous Thing, uh, working on new material. That's the best band name if you were going to have OnlyFans for your band. Dangerous Thing. That's just very, you know, that's dangerous. But anyway, uh, watch out for that. Um, shout out to Justin. Uh, support him on his OnlyFans. Support Heaven. Uh, support. <laughs> I was going to say Heavenly Hole. Support Heavy Hole podcast on patreon if you want some bonus episodes uh we're on all the social medias out there that you want uh look 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 back for our past episodes if you enjoyed this one we've interviewed a lot of people at this point and um i I hate to do this but we got to end on a a sad note another tribute note talking about these past episodes and past guests one of our proudest moments on heavy hole podcast all kidding aside now was when we interviewed the late steve grimmett of grim reaper and many other bands 
um, over the years. Uh, we interviewed him, uh, one of the first guests we ever got on the podcast. We had tremendous technical difficulties on our part that he was really patient and humble about, really great guy, and we got... Uh, a lot of his story uh, from the early days of struggling in the rock and roll industry to a lot of his side projects and other bands he's been involved in throughout the years, which people which I, th- I feel may have been a little bit overshadowed uh, by the strength of that Grim Reaper material and the legacy of Grim Reaper, which is which is uh, monumental in itself. But uh, he, Steve, Steve Grimmett has quite a few other projects and recordings that he leaves behind. And we covered a lot of them and talked about a lot of them in that interview, man. So I, if you're going to listen to one old episode of Heavy Hole that you have, and I encourage you to go back and check out Steve Grimmett and listen to him tell his story of um, triumph, survival, uh, and sticking with it and never giving up as a, as a true metal warrior. Um, really, really sad. That one really affected me, man. R.I.P. Yeah. So <clears throat> with that being said, uh, as I said, man, uh, Heavy Hole Podcast, shout to Maul. Uh, shout to Internal Bleeding and all the different people that have been through that band in the years. Um, and R22, uh, we're still going to keep our eyes peeled on that Facebook page and see if you guys are coming back sometime soon. Uh, it would be a, it would be good nowadays in this climate of new metal and everything, man. Uh, and shout to um, Steve Grimmett, man. Uh, in your own words, Steve, uh, we tribute. This one's for you, this beer, man, and we're going to see you in hell, brother. One. I told you I